0: I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation from all tribes and peoples and languages standing before the throne and before the lamb revelation chapter 7 verse 9 in the name of the Father the Son and the Holy Spirit amen please be seated a great multitude from every nation This morning, I want to speak about race and gender. (laughs) I was hoping that would get a chuckle. (laughs) They're two of the really hot-button issues of our time, right? And why am I speaking on them? First, because our Revelation reading prompts to speaking about race. And today is Mother's Day, which prompts speaking about gender. And although I wanted to speak about Good Shepherd Sunday as I was sitting to prepare this sermon, um, the Lord really impressed these things on my heart. Um, and I actually think it's important too that it's Good Shepherd Sunday. It's our name day festival because thinking Christianly about these two huge hot-button issues is really important for us as Christians and for the health and life of our parish. So I, want, I hope that the reflections I wish to offer this morning um, will be embedded in our ethos as a parish together. So, what I want to first um, impress is that it's not just some pet axe I desire to grind that I would speak about these issues. The Bible brings them up. Please, I, I ask you if you turn to Revelation, the passage in your bulletin. Just, you know, I'm not making this up. It's not me that's bringing up the issue this morning. It's the Bible. Right there at the beginning of our Revelation reading, that verse I quoted from, it's there in the Bible a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, Greek is ethne, ethnicity, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the land." So, the Bible has brought up race, so it's the Bible's fault. Um, What I want to say is that when it comes to these two issues, race and gender, we can't just follow cultural lines there's this big sort of liberal and conservative debates right or or different sides of the debate in our culture we can't just take one cultural side and assume that we've picked the side that pleases god we actually have to listen carefully to what god says pleases him and then with the scalpel of the bible say yeah you know this part of this claim is dead on this portion of this side of the debate is right and this portion is not has some problems and this portion is wrong and we need to be careful in sort of discerning and sifting the messages of our culture and our time i think when christian thinking is done at its best it doesn't fit neatly into any one category or the other there's always some difference rubbing against our cultural categories so in god's word in revelation we're told that heaven The picture that John gets of heaven, of what the church looks like who has died and will be forever, is a mixture of races and ethnicities and languages together worshiping the Lamb. Sheep of different color worshiping the one shepherd. The thing of course that unites us is the common justification that we have in Jesus Christ, right? That common bond of faith and baptism, that's the thing that that is a more... Profound uniting factor that gathers us all around the Lamb together, regardless of what we look like or what language we speak. So, um, I had a friend the other day, the other day who, who wrote to me, and it was a very challenging picture. He said, um, "Does the idea of hanging out with all different kinds of races for eternity sound good to you? Because if it doesn't, then you don't want God's heaven." It's like, oh. <laughs> i think he's probably overstating the case and i was like, well no that is the picture of god's heaven right and as anglicans we don't believe that heaven is just some completely different kind of existence than the life in the church today right eternal life has begun already when you were baptized you were crucified with christ and your eternal life has begun so we are already living in the four courts of heaven here on earth as it were and nothing pictures that more clearly than when we gather together as god's body and we worship the father through the son when we worship in spirit and in truth so God is especially pleased when his church on earth looks like the church in heaven what I want to say then is that diversity isn't a liberal word it pains me that we've attached that idea to sort of a liberal cultural ethos Diversity is a Christian word. It's right there in Revelation chapter seven. I want to reclaim it and say, no, that's not just your uh, flag that you fly, cultural liberals, whatever is meant by that word. That's a Christian vision of many races come together. It was one of the brags of the gospel in the earliest church to say, look at this. Jews and Greeks are sitting next to each other in church. Barbarians and Scythians are worshiping together. And Rome didn't like it. They're like, Rome said, Ah, you're supposed to kind of stay separate, guys, right? The big Rome was a very snobbish uh, class culture, so the biggest thing that grated on the Romans was the fact that poor and rich could worship together. That was like this big affront, like, what do you mean you're hanging out with the poor? Like, um, and so, But the church gloried in what Rome sneered at. So I, I want to let you know that my prayer for a good shepherd, and I, I say prayer because... This would only be the work of God. It wouldn't be the work of man. With all of the deep difficulties, the deep pains in our racial history in this country, no work of man is going to heal and solve all these things. Right? Centuries and decades of, um, well, first of all, centuries of slavery with regards to African-Americans, but then decades and decades of confusion and anger and lingering problems and pains and solutions that aren't solutions and things that don't work and all of this together. Men aren't gonna figure this out. But I do believe that by God's grace, God might be able to bring healing and work out some of these things. So my prayer is that as an Anglican church, we would live into the Anglican vision of being church, which is to be a parish church, which means caring for your parish. In the olden days, you used to, once a year, walk around your sort of city boundary and claim, it was called it was called the beating of the bounds, and say, this territory is God's, and we want everyone within this walking loop to be a Christian, and to be a faithful Christian, but just to claim that geography. And that's my vision for us as a church, that we would claim our geography, that we would say, we want to see lee county worshiping god in the patterns of the great tradition that that's that's what we're presenting as a church to the county and the county as a whole is 40% black so my prayer my dream when i think about when i think about good shepherd 50 years from now i dream that we might be a parish church and we might be 40% a black congregation that that would be a tremendous pleasing wonder to the Lord, I pray for this because then church on earth will look more like church in heaven. That will be more equipped to be in heaven. That it will be a more joyful and normal transition when we die. Um, it's God's work to bring uh, healing between races that are divided, and races have always been divided in every country, in every era of history. There's always clash. Because people who look different from each other clash with each other. And in different areas and different regions, different groups have been variously aligned. But God can bring reconciliation. He can bring unity in Christian worship from outward diversity, in outward diversity. So as with all of God's works, the simple thought I want to offer is we can either cooperate with God's work or resist it. Right? It's not for us to play God. It's not for us to think that that's our role, but we can still cooperate. In our own Christian lives, that's the case, right? When God leads you into something, you can either say, yes, Lord, or you can say, ah, no, Lord, I'd rather not do that. But where is there more blessing to be found in cooperating with God? So all I would ask for you to consider this morning is this vision of revelation. Is it something that, in the sort of, the little gestures of the day-to-day, the little hospitalities, the little things we might say or not say, are we seeking to cooperate with this diverse vision that God's given us of his church? That there might be, in fact, sheep of different colors under one shepherd, the good shepherd. Okay, there's obviously a lot more that could be said about race in the church, but I'm going to leave it there because I want to jump out of the frying pan and into the fire and speak about gender. The book of Revelation prompts the church to always think about the role of race in her midst. Revelation has been inescapably that way. It's why God wrote it in there. And our national holiday, Mother's Day, Happy Mother's Day, by the way, um, prompts us to think about mothers, which is another way that brings in the sort of other big hot button table that's always kind of flinging around in the news and in cultural debates, the great question of gender. It's a topic in which the world is becoming increasingly confused. And one of the roots of the confusion is our failure to recognize that how God has made us in our biology, male and female, should profoundly inform what it means to be a man or a woman. Ever since sort of theorists in the 60s tried to put a wedge in between those two things and say, no, your biology and how you live, they're not connected. The Bible says they are connected, right? In Genesis it says God created man, in his image he created them, male and female, he created them. right? The revelation of God confirms what we already witnessed by nature, that humans exist in two ways, either as a man or as a woman. Our biological sex is essential to who we are. It's not an accident, it's not some detail of our lives, it's who we are. We're stuck with it. If we try and neglect this fact or run over this fact in our lives, it will be impossible to live into the fullness of a human existence as God has called us to live. Now what I want to say first is that when God made men and women, He made us first really similar. Right? That we all eat kind of the same food, live roughly the same kind of bodily life. We all have brains that we think with, bodies that work in the same kind of way. Um, it's different than you see in other species, right? Like sometimes male and female often inhabit very different roles. Most importantly, and this is really only made plain, really clear in the New Covenant, God gave both men and women souls of equal dignity and value, that we are all alike able to receive the gospel to know our God. Right? Under the Old Covenant, circumcision, which was the mark of the covenant, was only available to men. Under the New Covenant, men and women receive the Holy Spirit. That's a big difference. Right, um, In the synagogue, like we just heard Paul reading in the synagogue in Acts, the men sat at the front and the women sat in the back. Because you had kind of your first class citizens in the kingdom and then, you know, the women at the back. The church right away recognized this sort of theological truth right there in Galatians in Christ as neither male nor female and said, no, we can't have two different tiers of seating. And so the church right away, actually, in the early days of the church, The men sat on one side and the women sat on the other side. But it was on sides rather than front and back. To communicate, we are all equally near the presence of God. God's made us very much the same. Now, on average, men might have a little more muscle mass and height. Women might have a little more endurance and complex negotiation skills. Um, But in general, we're a lot alike. And I I really want to affirm that because the danger the devil has two ways of throwing off truth, right? By overdoing it or underdoing it. So I don't want to sort of speak about the difference between men and women without first speaking about what's similar. But in the face of a lot of likeness, there's one enormous glaring difference in our biology. Women can bear children and nourish them and men cannot. Women have wombs and men do not. It's the one glaring difference, right, of our biology. And what it shows is that Women are who God has chosen to bring forth life into the world. Creation and fostering of new life. Motherhood is the most essentially unique characteristic of being a woman. Right? When we look at what men and women do in the world, it's a lot the same, except for a big difference <coughs> with motherhood. Men can never be mothers. Motherhood is sort of the unique feminine charism, if you will, the unique way, thing, in which God has called women to inhabit that men can't inhabit. God built this into creation when He made men and women different biologically. And in the order of redemption, He elevated it through... He, he took motherhood, a gift of nature, and he, he wrought it into His own saving story, right? When He sent His Son, He became incarnate from the Virgin Mary. Motherhood is what allowed the saviour of the human race to come. Motherhood is what was the door, the invitation, um, the beginning of us being saved by Jesus Christ. This is how Paul could write in 1st Timothy, in that wonderfully enigmatic verse, chapter 2, verse 15. Now women can be saved by childbearing. There's a great mystery there. I've only scratched the surface off. But I know it's connected to the fact that childbearing of Mary brought about the Incarnation and also from what I've now been able to witness firsthand, that motherhood is such a self-sacrificing call. And I'm saying all this to say that Mother's Day isn't just some hallmark holiday, it's a Christian idea to celebrate mothers. In England, you actually have a day called Mothering Sunday. If Jean Taylor was here, she could back me up on this. You have a Sunday of the year designated to honor mothers, and that's where American Mother's Day came from. Because there's this recognition that when a woman is a mother, She's fulfilling a created call, a a calling, uh, that only women could be uniquely, could uniquely fulfill. So what I want to say to all of you mothers here, and I know some of you better than others, but um, bless you for your self-sacrifice for your children and for fulfilling that call. (laughs) Well done, good and faithful servants, for your mothering. Now, of course, not everyone um, becomes a mother through circumstance special callings tragedies or infertility um, Many women don't become mothers. So what are we to make of that there's this sort of singular difference that doesn't come to fruition sometimes What I want to say is that um, Biological motherhood shows us something about what it means to live as a woman that there's something about providing life that as a sort of essential idea that a way a woman can inhabit her various callings in life, sometimes literal motherhood, sometimes the care of other children, sometimes all manner of vocations in all manner of work, right, out in the world, education, medicine, politics, whatever it may be, to actually live into that calling with the unique feminine characteristic of, bring, of bringing forth life, of nurturing life. Right? There seems to be this sort of fundamental difference between I've been teaching in church history and it's amazing to see that every time men in church history, kings and bishops, wanted to solve something they just pulled out their swords. Right? The masculine way has a certain sort of violence to it and the Lord has used that and it has terrible fallouts in different ways. But a motherly charism, a feminine charism of seeking to nurture and provide life, the world needs that kind of human existence, right? I don't want to, the culture is wrong to just want to sand off male and female differences and say we're all the same and it's all interchangeable. It's not. The way you women can inhabit your womanhood sort of off of this paradigm of motherhood is a great gift to the world. It's how God made it. What I want to say here is God has shown us in our biology something about what he envisions for gender roles and that doesn't always overlap with man's gender roles, right? Do you see there's a difference that humans would come up with something and say, well, women should always do this. Well, that may or may not be what God has ordained, right? We actually need to be discerning to say, well, what in our culture has God sort of sanctioned and blessed? And what is just some cultural trapping, right? Like there are things it's easier to see in other cultures when in 19th century China, they'd bind up women's feet and they say, well, that's what you have to do if you're a woman. It's like, well... Oh. Have to? What? You know, it would be wrong to Christianize that and say, well, we're good Chinese Christians, so we're going to do these No, 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 that's just a cultural thing. And we need to be careful about it and analyze it, and if it's um, problematic, to, to actually sort of resist it. So I want to be careful. Not all of man's gender roles are God's gender roles, but God has given us gender roles. I prefer the phrase gender callings. Ways to live into our Christianity, ways to serve in the body of Christ, ways to bless the world that are uniquely male or female. My hope for the Good Shepherd is that we would sort of salvage what the liberal cultural thing has been trying to say is theirs and claim it for ourselves say, no, as the church we honor and love ethnic diversity. As the church we celebrate maleness and femaleness gathered together under the One Shepherd. United in our differences, right? Not saying it's all the same But united in our differences. That's my prayer for us. Um, I realize this is a heavy sermon and you've probably not enjoyed listening to it But it's really important for the church to speak clearly about these things And I am the mouthpiece of the church here from this pulpit for both the next generation um, And our own to be clear because we're all listening to messages every day, right? Whatever news site you look at you're getting message that. And let the Bible, Genesis 1 and 2, Revelation chapter 7, be in the mix there as we think about these things. Amen.